You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey, what's going on? Thank you for tuning in to Nowhere to Run. My name is Chris. You can go to the website, which is NowhereToRunRadio.com, and you can click the contact button there for your questions, comments, and concerns. You can email me there. You can also comment on the website itself, on the different articles and podcasts that are posted there. You can comment if you log in. Um, We've got a lot to do today, so I'm just going to jump right in. First, well, I'll explain what I'm going to do a little later first, which is I'm going to play a clip from a, a testimony that was we were going to do an interview, but it ended up being a testimony. It, I'm glad that we did it that way because it's a lot clearer and more concise and stuff. And he is a former medium. He's a really good friend. He's in England, uh, and this is a really spectacular testimony. And we're going to make a video out of that in the near future. So stay tuned for that. It's about an hour long. A lot of big announcements. The Revelations Radio Network is back online, and I'm really excited about that. If you subscribe to the Revelations Radio Network either on iTunes or some other player or whatever, however you subscribe to it, you will actually need to resubscribe to it. Um, I wasn't able to use the old feed, so I had to create an all-new feed. So if you want to continue to have Revelations Radio Network stuff updated, you're going to have to subscribe to the new feed. And you can do that uh, really easily. Just go to the Revelations Radio Network site, and currently at the top right, you'll see the links to the new feed And I think even on iTunes at the moment, there are two Revelations Radio Network feeds. So you'll just have to check to see which one is being updated because other they're pretty much identical looking and everything. So um, so you're just going to have to see which one is the one that has the recent shows and then subscribe to that if that's the way that you want to do it. And that's a really good way to keep up with a lot of the different shows I'm doing if you're interested. Um, Nowhere to Run's on there, The Full Armor of God. The first by verse Bible teaching and scripture memory podcast and all all four of those are on that. So it's a good way to make sure that you don't miss any shows if they if they come out. In fact, um, I thought there was a video feed. I'm, it's a long story. I'm going to work on a video thing too there later. But the Revelations Radio Network is um, now a project that I'm doing. I'm the webmaster for that, and uh, I guess the um, basically have taken over the administrative duties and everything else uh for the Revelations Radio Network. So, it's um so I've decided to basically keep everything the same. I've changed the look of the website, some basic stuff. I plan on doing quite a bit more. Right now it's just got all the functional things on there. I plan on setting aside huge blocks of time here in the next week or so before I go on my honeymoon and then and get married and try to have it pretty well updated. One of the things that I wanted to do was to uh, set up the Revelations blog network. And this is like the Revelations radio network in that they are a lot of uh, like-minded people that are blogging and they're, or, and they're podcasting in, the, in that case. And uh, it's a place where you can go to and find them all in one, in one place. So right now you can go on there and there's a limited number of uh, posters on the Revelations blog network. And you can see it on the right sidebar as a little widget on the page. But you can also click on the the blog section and see that feed. And so I hope to really make that a, a, a big deal because I think it would be a great thing to do with 
news, and a great way to get news or what's going on in the world. I also think that um, with the absence of the Frank and Chris show, that I might start doing, this is sort of tentative, start doing a daily news program that might not be very uh, long, but it might be daily. And maybe 15, 20, 30 minute show or something like that where I would just read the news every day. And in order to do that, if that is going to become a reality, I will need to have um, a lot of news input from users like you. If you're a news hound, you're always checking out what's going on in the news, um, then maybe you're, you know, you can help by, by posting news for that show. Because as long as there's a news section on the Revelations Radio Network where you're just posting links to news stories that you find interesting. So if you want to be a part of that, send me an email. Also, if you want to be a part of the Revelations Blog Network, send me an email and we'll check out your blog and everything. The next few things that I'll talk about before we play this clip are the Catholic Testimonies track. That's something that hopefully will be out by the end of the week is what I'm shooting for. It's been a pretty long task, so thanks for bearing with me. There have been many, many different testimonies that I've been editing down, and uh, I keep finding more, so it's been taking a while, but it should be out very, very shortly. Also, there is a video about Seventh-day Adventism as well as sleep paralysis that will be new on the YouTube site um, probably pretty soon. I don't know exactly when. Those are being done by uh, my good friend Ivan in Canada, who has been just such a blessing to me that have been uh, working together on a lot of these projects, and he's just been uh, doing amazing work. So so he's that's just been a, an amazing blessing for me. So anyway, that should be out fairly shortly. And other than that, I think that I will play this clip. But before I do, I'm going to mention <laughs> two other things. I always say that, um, but there are two other things I wanted to mention. First, my mom has all these dreams. Well, she doesn't have a lot. In fact, there's probably only like five that I really can, maybe three or four really, that I can count that that she's had that are really seem to be, you know, special, you know, that she, she obviously thinks that they're incredibly special. She, you know, you know, tells me about them, called, called me on the phone today with one of them. And th they've been fairly rare. One of them or two of them were, was when I was young. Uh, one before I was born when she was pregnant with me. And then one when I was younger, maybe four or five or six or something like that. Um, she had one, they were both basically the exact same dream about how I would be a preacher, but not in a pulpit. That's, she kept, that was the weird thing to her. He was like, he was a preacher, but he wasn't in a pulpit. And so, uh, she kind of held that in her heart the whole time I was, you know, out when I was growing up and being rebellious and doing all the things that rebellious people do. She, because she had this dream, figured that, you know, well... I had the dream he's going to be a preacher, but not in a pulpit. I just don't know how it worked out. So it, and it, anyway, it apparently did. I kind of hit me not too long ago. I was like, wait, you know, that really did sort of work out. But anyway, she's had a few other pretty significant dreams, one of which was um, that, uh, well, I'll just say the one that she had today, was that there was, she was in this, like muddy sea or lake or pool or whatever it was. And it was me and her and my grandpa. And so there was this like these, I guess she described it as monsters sort of thing, but they would only like manifest in that they would, they would come up to the top and it would only be like a little ball or something. It wasn't quite 
you know, above the, but, uh, you know, it was above the water. And she was saying that the only way to get rid of it was to start praying and reading the Bible. And if you, if you, as soon as you saw it, if you would pray in the read of the Bible, it would kind of dissipate and, you know, but it would continue, continually happen, but that's how you got rid of it. And she knew that if, if you didn't pray in the read the Bible, it would grow up, uh, and, and, you know, become fully formed and like overtake you and, and, you know, kill you or, or whatever. And she said the main thing that, uh, was happening was that, that, uh, me and her were trying to tell everybody this, that all we had to do is to pray and to read the Bible, to get rid of these things so they wouldn't be, you know, fully formed. And it was like becoming more and more urgent and being extremely frustrated that, uh, people weren't listening to all that we had to do is to pray and to read the Bible. And, um, and it, it became a very interesting situation where, um, it, it, my grandfather wasn't listening to this and uh, he got you know overtaken by one of these things and there came a message that you know he had a choice but yet he was overtaken by it and she said when she when she woke up from it was an extremely strong impression that she should pray and read the bible more and that and she she does to a certain extent but not not really a whole lot or anything but uh, like a lot of us so Anyway, the reason I wanted to say that is that I've also felt very strongly about this recently. Um, part of the, one of the things that I pray about is to have a thirst for the word. You know, recognizing that I didn't really have a thirst for the word, but knew that it was something that I should do. And I, I recognized and I saw all these places in the Bible that said, hey, read me and and this stuff's going to happen. You know, you're going to be protected from this. You're going to be all this these promises that the Bible makes of itself. Read the word and X, you know, will happen. Good stuff. So, uh, so I know all this stuff. So praying for that and recently realized that it, it, I had been given, at least in some measure, this um, desire for the word that I had been praying for. And uh, one of these Catholic testimonies really um, was talking about this person actually learned to read um, after they got saved because they, you know, wanted to read the Bible and somebody gave them an audio tape of the Bible, you know, books on audio or Bible on audio tape, as well as a Bible. And that's how he learned to read. He said he listened to the Bible two times through before uh, the first time and then, you know, began to learn how to read and read it the next uh, time. He said he read in the read the Bible 20 times uh, front to back, uh, you know, so far. And I was thinking, I don't think I've ever really done that. You know, I've I've read a lot of the Bible and I probably could, you know, say that I knew almost all the stuff in there. But really, I, I don't think I've ever gone front to back in it. And um, so I decided to download in this one MP3 player I have just nothing but Bibles, the Bible. And there's a great link that I'm going to actually, as soon as I get done with this, I'm going to put on the Revelations Radio Network somewhere, the, a place where you can download the Bible. Um, and anyway, I would highly recommend it. I've, it's only been three or something days and I'm already in the book of Numbers. And I think that it's something that you know, it can be done. I would recommend, honestly, I, I would recommend going to the New Testament for somebody that has never even read the New Testament once, or maybe he's not even read. I mean, I could say before I did this, I probably read every book in the New Testament, or at least, uh, you know, at least once, you know, read every, every book in the New Testament. So if you've never done that, I highly recommend that you start with just the New Testament, do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Ephesians, Romans, you know, James, all those, you know, just just do those or pick one. Um, I used to, 
just pick like one book in the Bible and have it re repeat over and over. So, but I think that if you're kind of further along in your uh, understanding, a lot of the stuff in the Old Testament now begins to make sense. Um, I see so much stuff now in the Old Testament that I didn't understand before because I have, you know, a really good grasp or at least a pretty good grasp of the New Testament. So, um, so I really recommend that for somebody. But if you're further along in the Lord and you're thinking the same thing, I would recommend it. Just start at Genesis and go on through. How many times can you get through? Probably quite a lot. There's literally no better use of your time uh, as far as listening time. Okay, moving on to this audio testimony from Gaz Parker. He is a native of England. His blog is linked in the Revelations blog network. It's newagedeception.wordpress.com. And this is his testimony of being a former medium in his life of, of thinking that he was talking with spirits and then finding out the true nature of their identity and uh, finding out that Jesus Christ was in fact who he said he was. And it's a really great testimony, and so I'm just going to play it here in just a moment. If you want to contact him, you can do so through his blog, newagedeception.wordpress.com. And as I said, we're going to make a video of this hopefully very soon where uh, it can be used uh, in terms of evangelism for uh, other mediums and people involved with the spiritualist church and things like that. So give it a listen. It's about an hour long. It's extremely good information. Here it is, Gaz Parker, Voices in the Dark. Well, I must have been about five years old. No one tells you about these things. I mean, all children have nightmares, of course. Being awake, I'm witnessing, well, people on your landing. There's something wrong there. Let me explain. When I was five, I mean, I had two brothers. One of them was my elder brother, and I slept in the same room as my younger brother. So when I was about five, he must have been about three. And he slept like a baby. But the problem with me was I'd go to sleep, come 12 o'clock, middle of the night, pitch black, and I'm hearing voices. I'm hearing voices. Now, I can look back now and say, well, these voices weren't audible like what you're hearing right now from me. These were voices in my head. and uh, But they were very real. And they were kind of muffled and kind of just goading me I think it's very difficult to remember exactly what they were saying but I was five years old and I was in, in, in intense fear I was very very frightened in fact that frightened that um, I sweated that much my bed was absolutely saturated it was absolutely soaked and I would just lie there in absolute fear completely petrified for hours on end whilst in my mind I could see them these people on the landing one of the women uh, wore like a fox fur scarf and there were two men and they wore suits now I couldn't physically see the landing from where I was but in my mind I could see it what I used to do I used to get so frightened I'd, I'd just be sweating and, and just I, I, I couldn't move I was paralysed uh, but what would happen is eventually I'd get my courage together and then close my eyes and just run around out well out out of my bedroom around the landing and into my mum and dad's bedroom now my mother and father were a normal working class well we were a normal class working family they were a good mother and father but um 
you know, naturally they, they believe that I was just having nightmares or what they used to say to coin a phrase, an overactive imagination. You know, I was a child, I didn't know any better. And after that, I started to then kind of close down from these uh, entities because I would start to believe that they didn't exist, so I'd ignore them. But I would imagine that it was probably for a couple of years at least that they were feeding off, these entities were feeding off of my fear. And let me tell you, they these things were very, very real. Anyway, I closed them down uh, just, just by kind of ignoring them. And my mum taught me ways to think in a positive way, which really helped uh, just to think of nice things. As a five or six year old at that point, in fact, I'm probably going on to about seven, the entities stopped visiting me. So I grew up, I got to round about 14 years old. Now this was a quite a, an interesting time in my life because in my house we had only one book um, which was a cult and it was a book explaining about evil, about the devil, about um, the different uh, traditions like Wiccan and and uh, you know just stuff along those those lines and I wasn't really bothered about reading about these things I just liked the little symbols that were in there the pen the pentagram and uh, some some other strange um, sim symbols from Kabbalah and, and uh, ancient books and I would often draw these little symbols and stick them on a piece of paper and hang them on my wall I really hadn't got a clue what I was actually doing but I had this fascination with the occult more so because um, I thought it was that kind of interesting that I started playing around with the Ouija board and uh, the first time I did it uh, we got a box called a box game called Scrabble and just got the letters and put them all around the table in alphabetical order yes and no in the middle and uh, we used to in the summer holidays we used to play with the Ouija board and one of us would always uh, throw the glass off the table or do something ridiculous like that to frighten everyone one time we were using it the glass actually got hot and uh, it frightened us and we stopped using it but it was quite odd because I always felt that after that there was this kind of presence around me and I wasn't quite sure what it was but I was a bit paranoid because um, I, I used to feel that I was being watched all the time consequently uh, I used to do a lot of doodling and I was always drawing eyes always drawing pictures of eyes I wonder if perhaps subconsciously I, I was still worrying about this um, this this presence when I was 15 a classmate of mine was brutally murdered it sent a lot of sadness and fear throughout all my school friends it was very very sad it was just completely out of the blue I don't really want to go into any amazing detail or name names on, on this the significant point about this was that it made me question my own mortality and I was kind of very very frightened about dying you know 15 year old lad on my housing estate there were these two men that used to walk around and they were evangelists Christians they used to come along and speak to the children on the estate and get them to come along to coffee evenings we got a co cup of coffee and a biscuit and we'd go along because of free coffee obviously they they had their agenda 
but um we we went along and i got to i got friendly with the um the the, the two guys and me and a couple of other friends ended up going to a church service and uh we were quite well typical children we felt embarrassed and it, there was a lot of nervous laughter and we kind of thought it was a bit funny that we were singing hymns consequently because i like i came from quite an atheist family my although my mother was brought up a catholic my father was an atheist and we were always told you know um don't worry about religion if you want to uh, choose a religion that's fine but we're not going to put any pressure on you and that kind of suited me but to go actually go into a church at that point and and start singing was kind of alien to me anyway my friend stopped going to the coffee evenings but i carried on and i ended up uh being saved at 16 and uh being a regular member of of that church and i was a born again christian uh, in an evangelical church now that was okay um I, you know i was saved it was great everything was brilliant but what i found was i was 16 years old i wanted to go out have a bit of fun i wanted to do all the things my friends were doing they were drinking they were smoking they were meeting girls going to clubs and pubs and this is what i wanted but what i also found was there was this hunger in me this this thirst to find um a spiritual meaning and i felt that in christianity that i just couldn't find it i couldn't find what i was looking for so i said to god i said look i'm not sure about this I know you're real, but I'm not sure about Christianity. So I'm going to go around and have a look, and I'm going to try and find something else. So what I'm saying is I hadn't given up God, but I'd given up Christianity. And I then went in, I was on a, a route to try and find the truth, as far as I could see it, because I felt disillusioned about the Christian church. I also felt quite pressured by um, a lot of the evangelical people. Bless them, you know, this is their way they're just trying to save me uh, but um, I just found that a little bit overpowering as a 16 year old boy these grown men telling me I've got to be doing this I've got to do this I've got to be at certain places it wasn't working for me but I'm not blaming them it's just it just wasn't working for me then I don't think it was the right time for me and also I felt that it was odd because I had this um, notion in my head that certain people like my friend who was murdered and other people that I knew had died were still around me I just had this feeling I wasn't quite sure why anyway so when I got to around about 17 18 I would go to pubs and clubs and get drunk it was quite odd because I could walk up to a girl and I could tell her her name this is one of the things I could do another thing I could do is, is guess people's ages I would kind of just stand there quite inebriated on the alcohol and just the, the the information would just come to me and I thought that was quite a good talent and I thought well this has got to be some kind of like psych psychology so I started reading up about psychology I thought that was a bit crazy when I got to about 20 21 I started um, really getting interested in hypnotherapy and neurolinguistic programming and I thought that this this was really really good because I'd been suffering from a, a lot of anxiety um, most of my life, and I think a lot of that stemmed from um, nights when 
I was a child. You know, I was I was actually scared of the dark up until about the age of nine. So that kind of had a massive impact on me. But I had a lot of anxiety. I always felt a bit paranoid. Always felt that people around me, and I don't mean that in a in a psychotic sense where you've got a paranoid schizophrenic. Um, I was I was quite and, and it, it, if I can say I was quite normal as a child. Um, I understood the difference between rea reality and non-reality. I was getting to a point where my mind was quite open to different concepts and, and challenges and I knew that I could change myself. I knew about self-help. In fact, I was quite a fan of the self-help books. So I learned about hypnotherapy. Um, in fact, at the age of 30, I got a diploma in hypnotherapy. I learned it for a while and that actually led into... Um, a lot of the trance work but just going back to the age of 20 it was quite odd because there was this um, taxi driver and he used to always pick me up after um, after I go to a nightclub and uh, he would just sit me he would, he would drive me to my house and he would sit with me for hours and I'll tell him things about his relationship and I'll tell him what he has to do I'd give him advice now I'm just a drunk 20 year old kid talking to a bloke in his 40s giving him advice and I used to think that was, that was quite odd. And I didn't really remember a lot of the things I said. It was when I was about 34, a lot of this, what had happened in my past, then started kicking into place. I'd been listening to a lot of conspiracy radio, uh, a guy called Alex Jones, and other people. I'd kind of touched on David Icke's work, and I thought he, he was insane, at the time, at least. So I was kind of looking at the new world order um, basically that is to do with um, a massive conspiracy where there are just a few people who behind the scenes are running the world look I'm not here to debate that uh, but that, that's what I was listening to at the time and I was always in, interested in things that were kind of secret and hidden so at the age of 34 my wife's grandmother had had just died we were all feeling a bit sad about what had actually happened so I'd, I'd been working away from home I went out with uh, a friend of mine who had funny enough he was quite coincidental I was actually working with him I I do a lot of contracting so I'm I can go in different parts of England and I happened to be back in my in my own town and we went out for a drink on the way back home I said to him I said look uh, Let's just call him Jim for now, yeah. I said, Jim, I said, there's, a, there's something I've been meaning to tell you. Remember Chris? Remember he died on the mot motorcycle accident? Well, you know, it's really odd because I keep seeing him in my mind. I said, I've had this before. I just keep getting his picture, though, like a picture of his face, and it just won't go. But it's not like I'm actually choosing to think of him. The actual image of his face is get, being forced into my mind. Now... Jim had been best mates with Chris and indeed Chris did die on a motorcycle accident. He was a guy who was a hellraiser, he loved going out, he, he was just a real good laugh but a real big guy, not just in size but in personality. I didn't really know him that well but I knew of him, I'd seen him a few times but um, Jim turned around to me and said well actually Gareth that's a bit odd because I've been getting these dreams lately where I'm actually touching him I can literally touch the guy and I can talk to him it's like he's really really there and then I'm waking up now we're actually in the street 
it's around about November time it's freezing cold there's no rain or anything it's just a bit of ice, ice everywhere and it's absolutely freezing but we're talking it's quite interesting so what I said was I says look I'm gonna see if I can find out any other information here I know it sounds really crazy but it just feels quite quite natural as well so I just want to work with this I said if, if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out so Jim said okay well we'll, we'll, we'll see where we'll see where it goes so I then sent a question to this this image in my mind this which was Chris and I asked him to show me some more details so what he did, he, he, he showed me the bike, he showed me what he was wearing at the time. And I explained that back to Jim. He said, yeah, that's true, he was wearing this, this stuff at, at the time. And then I said, well, he, he's got a message for you. And it was really odd because I was getting pictures. But I, was get, I, I could also, like, I could hear his voice, but it wasn't in an audio sense. It was almost like the way the, the entity spoke to me uh, when, when I was five years old. And... I said, well, he said that you should not hold on to him anymore and you need to move forward. He's not around anymore and he needs you to, you know, just get get on with your life. And I had my head down at the time and I, pulled, I, I lifted my head up and I, I knew that Jim was crying. Although I couldn't hear him, I knew, even not by looking at him, I knew he was crying. And I looked up and, of course, Jim was in tears. So I apologised and I said, look, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to give you any, any pain. But I says, that just felt like he was really talking to me. And it must have made an impact on Jim. And then, to my astonishment, I got a picture of a woman in my head, an old lady. And I could almost kind of walk like her as well. I, I, I kind of adjusted my body so it was like this old lady. And I was walking around and it seemed really weird. I mean, it's absolutely crazy at the time. And I, and I, I gave the name of this woman and the date she died... And I said, yeah, she used to walk like this, and she was this tall. And I, I put my hand out, and I, and I, I showed how tall she was. And he goes, yeah, that was my grandmother. And then I did the same for the grandfather, who also had passed over names and dates. So I just thought, this was amazing, but really, really scary at the time. So Jim went, uh, he, he went home, and I went home, and uh, it was Saturday the next day. And I was staying at my parents' house, and my wife turned up in the morning. And I told her about what had actually happened. Leading up to this, which I forgot to mention, was quite extraordinary. On the Saturday, this was a week before the mediumship stuff kicked in. And for some reason, I felt that I needed to go and see a medium. I don't know why. I just felt that I had to go and see one. And my my wife's grandmother died and it was almost like I, I had to get a message for her but I, I couldn't work it out but I got a feeling of excitement so I went down to the spiritualist church in the town that I used to live and uh, it was locked so I saw the phone number on the side and rang up and I spoke to this very kind gentleman and I said look I, I need to speak to a medium I don't know why I just feel that I need to so he says, look, we don't normally do this, but um, I'm going to give you the name of um, Aileen. And Aileen will be able to speak to you, but I don't know if she'll give you a reading. So anyway, I, I, I rang up Aileen, and uh, I said, hello there. I, I said, um, look, I'm sorry to disturb you, but I hear you're a medium. I need to speak to one. I don't know why, but I just feel that I've got to speak to one. And I wonder if I can come along and see you. 
and she actually said that she don't normally do readings on the fly but I'm quite welcome to come along so I asked her how much it was going to be she says she doesn't charge uh, but you can give a donation to the spiritualist church so I said that's fine I went along um, I went to see her opened the door she was a little lady little old lady very very sweet sat down I found it a little bit strange because um, the first thing she did she got some Rooney stones out now these are stones with little symbols on them and uh, she said look I just feel that I've got to use these stones with you but I don't know why so she put these stones out on the table and she told me things about my future and how I, how I am in my state of mind it didn't make a huge amount of sense but it kind of gave me a, it, it made me feel a lot a lot more relaxed because I didn't know what was going to happen anyway so after that she said have a sit down so I sat down and then she sat on the chair and then she closed her eyes took a deep breath and she went to like a trance and I'll tell you what it seemed a little bit strange to me the first time I'd ever seen it it didn't feel natural it felt a bit strange and then the next minute she's then describing stuff to me saying oh I've got a woman here blah 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 now I'm very receptive and I'm 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 willing to listen to her but I wasn't giving her any information because I thought yeah she might be a charlatan I don't know it was quite amazing because uh, she described my grandmother now she didn't give a name at first but she described my 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 grandmother and then she went on to this other woman and she gave the initial and the and the initial was um a m it was an m and i thought i don't know who that is and she started describing this this woman i couldn't i just couldn't figure it out and then i went it's maureen and of course that was my wife's my wife's grandmother and it all slotted in and she gave me this message this Maureen gave me the message and then my grandmother came through and she was telling me how much she loved me and I could feel I could feel energy around my face and my neck when this was happening and and I said I can feel this I can feel this to to Aileen Aileen gave me my um, grandfather as well described him um, talked about different quirks and stuff give a lot of evi lot of evidence didn't ask a lot of questions which is very very good my uncle came through and there was a couple of others by the end of it I was just exhausted I was I was trying not to cry it but it was such a, a relief knowing that my friends and family were were were, were alive and well and they, they were looking out for me what was quite astonishing was Aileen then turned around to me and says these things that I can do you can do too I said how do you know she says my guide told me she said, the life of a medium, very, very lonely. It's one of commitment and it's the spiritual path. And if you choose that, it will be a difficult path. Now, a week later, that's when all that other mediumship stuff started coming in. So that's when I was with Jim and uh, my actual mediumship started kicking in then. And I, and I actually called that a spiritual awakening. Um, I might not call that that a spiritual awakening now but at the time that's that's what I felt it was so on the Saturday this was a week week after I'd seen Aileen my wife came down to meet me I told her about what happened but I was kind of very very wound up and uh, I, I, I wasn't dealing with it very very well I felt overwhelmed very very anxious and uh, just I was shouting and, and 
having a bit of a barney with my with my good wife and it wasn't good very very exhausted and confused so she said for, look for heaven's sake ring at Aileen and just ask her what to do I rang her up and she told me how to close down and this is actually um, taught to mediums and they say look you're just like a radio you're a, you're a receptor but you've got to learn to switch off from the the um, the entities that want to come through they always want to communicate with to you so I had to pretend in my mind that I had a cloak on and I put the, the, the hood of the cloak over me and that was meant to be like a signal to tell the entities to not talk to me and it worked she said that she didn't have time to speak to me because she had to go to uh, to see her, her family but she gave me a number of uh, a, another medium so I rang him up and he asked me to come round his house so I went round his house and uh, he lived in like a mobile home and we went in I was with, with my wife at the time and he made me a cup of tea and I looked over at the wall and there was a picture of this man it was like a drawing and I thought that's his guide I just knew I don't know how I knew I just knew and he, he came in he says how are you feeling I said I feel really wound up he says don't worry it's okay we'll talk in a minute and within five minutes I felt very very calm and just as I started feeling calm he then called out from the kitchen he says how are you feeling now I said I feel really calm he goes yep that's my guide and he came into the living room and he pointed at the, at the picture of this sketch face and he said he's a monk he's from the 13th century look don't quote me on the date I can't remember but I think it was something like the 13th century and he was a monk and he was kind of a high level spirit and he said yeah this is this is my this is my guide and we talked and he said look you're nothing special just because you're a medium doesn't mean you're anything special we it's just we're more sensitive than the average person and we're able to speak to spirits so he then taught me some other techniques of closing down he told me about the, some of the stuff he did he did a lot of um, clearance work which means going into a house and uh, telling spirits to go away and just getting rid of spirits from from houses he did a lot of platform work as well where he'd stand up on a platform and he would point to different people and give messages he was a spiritualist and uh, he told me to join a circle so that I could learn to develop my skills the first point of action was to ring up the spiritualist church in the town that I was living at in London so I went on the internet and found the closest spiritualist church and I rang them up but they had a, a thing called a clothes circle and they explained to me that if I wanted to just step in off the street I need to go to an open circle so anyway just to explain what a circle is it's when uh, a few people sit around in a circle uh, the lights are dim or off and um, then people go into like a, a semi-trance like state and start um, having psychic experiences sometimes uh, speaking to the dead or just sending messages to each other um, it's quite standard practice really you have an open circle that anyone can go go along to or if you really get deep into this you can go to a closed circle where you are only able to go through invitation these are considered more uh, advanced more senior mediums so anyway so I rang up the um, so 
spiritualist church and uh, the one that I got through to that did an open circle uh, was very um, accommodating and told me to come down the following day so I did I went down they had a service I sat at the back and they sung hymns it seemed a little bit like a church really it was an old building and eventually some man was announced to come onto the uh, onto the stage and it seemed a bit weird because when I saw the guy come on stage I could have sworn I saw him on the tube but I think that might have just been down to like nerves anxiety I don't know it was just some weird coincidence the man who who was the guest who did get onto the stage would later on be my my guide um not a spiritual guide but my my helper to um help me develop my mediumship whilst watching him he was very very good he was pointing at people giving names dates and how people died and uh, I was very impressed very very good guy um seemed a bit up himself but um he got the job done but he wasn't the organiser and he wasn't the guy that I spoke to on the phone. We'll call the guy um, who I spoke to on the phone Jeff. So I went over to Jeff at the end of the session and he introduced me to the, the medium who was um, who was doing the mediumship that night. We'll call him Dan. I don't want to use people's real names. Jeff took me into uh, a room behind the stage and there was Dan as well and some other man um, covered in tattoos and they sat me down and explained to me that um, basically I was born with mediumship abilities whereas a lot of people they have to develop them so I was actually quite fortunate but they told me about controlling it and um, the circle would be good for me but it wasn't pushy I mean that's the point about these places they're not pushy at all I told them that all I could see is yellow in front of me everything had a tinge of yellow and they explained to me that this was to do with the one of the chakras to do with energy and they said it's the yellow chakra I can't remember exactly whereabouts that is on the body but they told me just to release that energy and give it away to um, the starving millions people starving around the world just sort of just let it you know sort of let go of it and will it to go to um, starving people which I did and the yellow tinge kind of disappeared I told them that I wanted to continue to um, develop my abilities to be able to control them that was the main thing I was concerned about but also to try and find answers I had a lot of questions about death and dying and um, also I wanted to kind of find out why my life had been quite difficult with my hypersensitiveness and um, if this had anything to do with it eventually turned out that I was going to sit in circle with Dan but the first session I was going to sit with Jeff in his bigger circle the next week I went to the spiritualist church and met up with Jeff and there's like a kitchen just to the side of the the main hall and I was in there and no one really speaks to you you know you kind of just left on your own which is a little bit different to say an evangelical church where everyone wants to speak to you that was one of the the first things I noticed you kind of isolated being the new boy 
But then eventually um, people came up to me and I explained that I'd just recently discovered that I had mediumship skills. But the, the feeling I got, or the reaction I got from most people is they were either unsure whether I was telling the truth or in, in other words they thought I was either lying or they were uncomfortable with the idea that I could do something which I found out later on a lot of them have not got the, the ability and they get quite envious this is something that I was about to learn about envy and uh, how rife it is in the spiritualist movement Jeff asked us to go into the other room which is the main hall and we all sat down there was chairs all round in a circle um, some of the chairs were stacked up to the side and we had to go and get our own chairs to make up the circle he mentioned that the circle had been expanding it had been getting a lot bigger just recently uh, so we all sat round um, no one was really introduced but it sounded like most people were regular because they all knew each other by name Jeff was just naming different people and the first thing he said right let's just turn the lights down so the lights went down and he says right the first thing we're going to do is I want everyone to think of a symbol just think of an object could be a square uh, a triangle and just relax go into like a, a deep relaxed state and then we'll just see if we can pick up on anyone else so what what would generally happen is Jeff would kind of point at someone and say right you're thinking of a star right right now is that correct and the guy go well actually I was thinking of a, a starfish but you know we kind of we're quite we're quite uh, close on that and then that's how it would go and uh, I don't think anyone got what I was thinking but I remember picking out a couple of things on different people but it was quite a limited game and then I just it was quite quite strange because there was a woman with dark hair and uh, she looked like a witch now I'm not saying that you know uh, all people who do Wicca look the same but she looked like the kind of person who would be a witch and I did point to her and I said he, he, have you ever done Wicca or she goes yes I'm a witch right so I probably just got that just by looking at her but then I got a name and um, I gave her the name and she goes yeah I can accept that and I just described a grandmother and I said, yeah, your grandmother used to be in witchcraft as well. So already I was starting to open up and start giving out messages. And Jeff was okay about that, but uh, I, I just got a sense that there was other people who wanted also for me to give them a message. And uh, I wasn't able to. Um, I was a bit shook up because this is the first time I'd ever done it. And uh, I was a bit nervous and I didn't feel that I was meant to be doing open mediumship in um, uh, that particular session and also I really didn't know how this was all working. Um, a week later I, I came back to the spiritualist church and I I was speaking to Dan I said look Dan can I join your session because um, I've already got an ability there and uh, I wanted to start using it. and. He he was quite quick and uh, quite reactive. He turned around and says, I will be teaching you. I'm the teacher. So there was obviously an ego issue there with the guy who was basically saying, look, you know, you're just a beginner. You you don't know what all this is about. So he's almost dis dismissing um, 
any ability that I had then because I hadn't gone through his training. It turns out that Dan was, um, who was a very, very good medium, a very, very good, very accurate. He wasn't born with that ability. He he had learned how to do it, and his teacher was very, very much like him. It was a woman. She was very strict, and uh, she would curse him down all the time if ever he made any assumption or um, took like a shortcut of, of of some kind. So because of that, um, well, Jeff had explained that to me. Because of that, I kind of made an allowance for the guy because he was doing what he thought was best. But he did have an ego, the size of an elephant. But there was a problem in, in Dan's circle because I always felt um, a sense of fear. Now, you probably heard me say this throughout this recording about not feeling good, about feeling on edge. Well, there's a theme to that because all the time that I was involved in the spiritualist church, especially when doing the circles, there was a feeling of anxiety, as if there was some kind of force against me in all that time. I probably went about four or five times to Dan's open circle, and um, I would often give messages, and they'd be very accurate. But near near the end, um, I started getting stuff wrong, and it was because I was just a bag of nerves. Really, I could I could sense that Dan did not like me at all. He didn't like the idea of me showing him up with with my abilities, and um, I knew that very very well. And I started to feel sick. The thing about um, going to circles when they go wrong is they can make you physically ill, and there were times when I just felt like gagging and it's very very real but it's an awful feeling it's a it's a feeling of oppression i remember in the in the last session it got it got that bad that he asked me a question and i knew what the answer was and i just lied just because i didn't want to wind the guy up anymore and i don't know whether he had a hold over me of some kind or whether it was just um it was just his negativity was affecting me but i know when you open up as a medium you are um subject to all sorts of attack spiritually and uh, I think that's what was going on whether it was coming from Dan or not I don't know in fact I don't even think it was but I think that um, when when you get that that kind of negativity in in this in this business that um, it's a recipe for disaster I never went back to his session but I did during the time I was there meet another guy called Brian and Brian was the what can I say the leader of the other spiritualist church in the same in in the same area and Brian just seemed like a lot more relaxed he seemed a nicer guy he seemed more more empathic quite emotional chap and uh, we we agreed that after Christmas he was going to start up his circle it was going to be a new open circle. And he'd been out of the game for a while. And he was a medium too. All these people are mediums. So after Christmas, uh, I joined his circle. And uh, there was three of us there. And I remember, it, like, every week I'd go, there'd be an extra person. 
but it never went beyond 10 people but um when i first went i i did pick up some feeling of envy off off the the other girl it was it was good she was okay but that was only in the first week and then after that it got a bit better um but the thing the thing was i was able to see things hear things feel things know things i had a lot of the extra senses that most people only had one of them so i was able to describe someone's house for instance um one of the girls was talking to me and then i described her grandmother and then described the house i described the carpet the chairs the smell although i wasn't smelling it i i, I can't explain it but i can describe the smell i i i described where the windows were the, there was a particular crack in the wall um the cooker i could describe one of the things i was good at was describing people's houses i could do that with um people who had died that is uh someone's dead relative or that actual person i'm speaking to which is a bit freaky and uh i don't know i don't know what what you would call that whether that's like a form of remote viewing or not i don't know but uh it's very very real and i was very very accurate but in in brian's sessions it was about um not necessarily just developing your mediumship ability but getting in touch with your guides and being taught by your guides and guided to become more spiritual now a guide or a spirit guide is meant to there's there's i think there's about two types one of them is the your like guardian angel he's been with you supposedly since since birth knows everything about you um apparently you've made some kind of agreement to come back to earth and he's there to protect you uh he kind of stands on the door between you and the spirit world and he'll only let certain spirits in and he's there for your discernment and then there's other uh, spirit guides that come and go you get different ones i had quite a lot of spirit guides uh, but my main one he called himself sitting bull yeah that's right the the actual sitting bull which i went and got a book on him and i'm thinking oh i've got the real sitting bull here but when i spoke to brian about it he says well no he's not the he's not the original sitting bull but the guides will come in and they will give you uh, a picture and a name sometimes a name it's quite rare if they do but a, a picture in the head of uh, a particular person and they will then say that this is this is who i am but really um as he explained he says the spirit world they have no real form so they just create a form so it's not it's not the genuine sitting ball that you're talking to but it's the it's the kind of the the vision of this person that they're trying to convey so i had a red indian guy i, I don't know if you're allowed to call them that now eh? or is it a native american indian as a guide so what we learned to do was to speak to our guides so what would happen is if i was giving a reading to someone and i was explaining i was describing their, their grandfather and i got a couple of things wrong i would then ask my guide and i caught other mediums doing this and i was doing this myself i was looking up towards my right 
and I could see in my mind the spirit guide so I was, I was it was almost like get get my brain to think in a visual sense and and the guide would either stick his thumb up for yes or stick his thumb down for no and I'd just get a snapshot of him and so if if I wasn't sure if I'd done something wrong right he would either put his thumb up for encouragement or thumb down and and this worked all the time and um so I I learned to put a lot of trust in my spirit guide sitting ball um other guys came forward and depending on who the guide was depending on how my mediumship would work so sometimes it would be very very powerful and very very draining when it was a, a like I had like this Norwegian guide who said he was a viking and uh, he described one of the main canals going through Norway and uh, he came across as a viking with horns and when I questioned him I said well I don't think the vikings really did have horns he said yeah I know but that's just the picture that I'm creating so you know it these these entities can clearly make themselves and this is the key point these entities can make themselves look like anything so remember that very very important to understand that they can make themselves appear to you exactly how they want you to see them so they can appear familiar or familiar as a familiar spirit sometimes I'd even feel them touching me and um, apparently what Brian explained to me was when you're in the circle one person becomes the lead medium and everyone else seems to act like a battery uh, but like you know a form a, a source of a source of energy but I think what it is the spirits actually drain the energy off everyone but they might well I don't know for sure but it might be that some of the energy is directed to the main medium so that he could get most of the information through um, week after week the energies got a lot stronger when I say the energies you could feel like some kind of vibration some some energy there and it just seemed easier and easier to connect to the spirit world and it just seemed a lot lot easier to be able to give give readings some some people were easier than others but if you're talking to a medium it was very easy to give them a reading or them you nearer the end of the time I was there I was starting to feel sick again there was a particular girl um, who was quite a needy person and liked being center of attention and didn't like the idea of um, having anyone better than her and I unfortunately um, was able to give more accurate readings than her and I don't wish to sound like I think this is great because really and truly now looking back I think it's quite tragic but I didn't feel right and the last week I was there I I told my, my wife that um, it was making me ill and she says well you just got to stop going so I did, I, I I just cut it out, I couldn't be bothered with it anymore and uh, I told my guides that I was going to work on my own now and this, this is how I'm going to work and occasionally I'd go out and I'd meet people and I'd give messages but that started to taper off 
after a while. Over the next few years, nothing really happened. Uh, but I was always unsure about uh, whether I should be using my mediumship abilities or not. Start of 2009, my mother died. I got a phone call from my brother telling me that um, I've got to get back up, I've got to come home, back to my hometown because there was a problem with mum. She was at hospital. At the same time I was having this phone call, uh, my wife was telling me that the kettle had broken and in fact um, it was just boiling, it was going mad. It was like um, just steam everywhere and she couldn't turn it off. The electrics were going a bit crazy as well in the house. And then um, I got another phone call a bit later and it was my sister-in-law telling me that my mother, and this is how she phrased it, my mother didn't make it. And I had to then just say to her, I said, what, is, is mum dead? And she said yes. And that was just a blow. It was terrible news. It's got to be the worst news for, for most people in their lives hear that their own mother had died. I only would seen her the day before. That was the tragic thing. And she she was fine, but you know, she just she she just dropped dead. So we drove we drove back up towards uh, my hometown and uh, got to the hospital. And yeah, she she'd gone. But the piece that I the piece that I had inside me, which was helping me, was knowing she was around. But because I was so emotionally upset by all of this, I couldn't really, um, I couldn't really connect to the spirit world because I was so emotionally upset. I remember uh, her buying me some electronic gadget for for one Christmas, which was a, uh, it was like it told the weather. It was like an LED screen. And I still had it in the box. In fact, it was it was a couple of months before, uh, or or a month before actually, uh, at Christmas. So I opened it up, set it all up, got it working, and then uh, about a month after that, I was in the kitchen, and the little weatherman gadget thing was in in my kitchen too, and I said a little prayer out to my mum I, I spoke out towards my mum who I believe was around me at the time I said look I know I know that it's early but if you can show me a sign I, I'd really appreciate it but I know that and I was my, my heart was broken and I was really struggling to talk and uh, I said please show me a sign if you can but if you can I'll understand and then the microwave oven pinged and I went over to the microwave turned my back to the little gadget the weather gadget opened up the microwave took the um, bowl out that I'd been heating up turned back round and the weatherman that had been leaning against the window was lying on its back now anyone can think of a thousand different explanations for that but you've got to understand that I was heartbroken I was looking out for a sign for my mother and then that happened and any reasonable explanation will go straight out the window okay because at the time 
I was looking for a sign and I was desperate for that and this actually happened um, from a metaphysical uh, perspective yes of course it could be a force from uh, a spiritual force of some kind that, that moved it and that's what I believed and that's what I still believe today later on I used to think that was that really mum that moved that weatherman gadget so I used to connect to my guide but I wasn't really getting much much from my guide um, he wasn't really communicating with me around that time so I started having conversations with mum I started opening up as I as I started feeling a lot better about things and she'd come forward sometimes and I'd see her face but it's very very difficult um, trying to decipher whether the the entity coming through especially if it's someone very close to you it's very difficult to uh, decipher whether that entity is really who they say they are very very difficult because you've got a lot of emotional feelings involved in that but I'd have a conversation with her and she'd say things like I'm you know I love you and blah 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 which was very very nice and there were there, there was lots of other things and uh, other things that happened during that time but I started getting the impression that some of the things she was saying were not sincere and they're out of character and it kept going on and then sometimes it was just blatant lies so I thought right I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speak to spirit world anymore because I know that that's not my mum and I've got serious doubts about all this because if someone can come forward and lie to me then how the hell, how the hell do I know who these things are? Where are they coming from? How do I test the source? And that was it. That's when it dawned on me. These things, there's no way I can know what they are. Because even, even the guide, how do I know, how do I know the guide's telling the truth? Seems a bit crazy to me. August 2009 I've been praying to God every day asking him for guidance asking him to show me the truth and I continue to do so I wasn't sure about Christianity but I even prayed to Jesus and said if you do exist or if you are real then please help me because I need to know what's going on I'm confused the questions that I asked was am I meant to be doing mediumship is being a psychic a good thing and if not then please tell me show me the way give me some guidance so it was quite strange because in that month I met with a guy I call him Glenn and we started talking about the New World Order the Illuminati the Maitreya and the big deception I knew there was something going on I'd, I'd looked upon the work of David Icke some of that is quite credible and other stuff is just completely off the wall I looked into Blavatsky I read into a lot of the stuff that the truth movement is looking into but still the answer wasn't there so I just continued I keep continued talking to my friend emailing him we met up a couple of times I think it was just after Christmas 2010 around about January when um, we met up in London and we went for a tour around the 
capital just looking at the buildings went down to the Scientology building had a look there looked at the architecture tried to look for the Masonic statues uh, and then we ended up in the um, in the St Paul's now all this time my mate um, who was a Christian was trying to keep um, talk, he kept talking to me about scripture and he'd been doing this for, for quite some time for about six months or so and uh, it kind of wasn't really I wasn't really taking much notice of it I had my beliefs um, I was someone who believed in spiritual things but I had no concept of a counterfeit spirituality at that time I just I just need to say that a lot of the time leading up to this point I've been feeling quite down quite depressed not knowing what I'm meant to be doing as a spiritual person so we're in St Paul's and we're walking around my friend's got these passes so we can get in there otherwise I think you're paying about £11 a head and you get like a year pass he had two of them and we went in and we went looking around it's a, it's an amazing place and to me it's, it was just a, a cathedral anyway so as we walk around to another part of the building I'm suddenly drawn to this painting it's a painting of Jesus he's standing there and underneath it's got the writing it says behold I stand at the door and knock but um, the way it actually worked was Glenn sort of got me to look at the picture the organ the music started playing and as I looked at it he then read out the words behold I stand at the door and knock and at that point I just got an overwhelming sense of emotion I, I have felt that before in the past and that was when I was saved and this feeling was just so incredibly powerful I had to go and sit down and I just felt like weeping it was just an amazing overpowering feeling and at that point at that point I knew I knew I had no doubts this was the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit and I knew Jesus was real at that point so he eventually after all this time and after all this asking of him he came back and he found me but looking back I know that he never left me now it took a couple of months before I eventually decided to get on my knees and, and ask ask him to, to save me giving my, my life to Christ I'm renouncing mediumship and all my occult ways spiritualism is actually a religion in their own manual the National Spiritualist Association says and I quote a spiritualist is one who believes as part of his or her religion in the communication between this this world and the spirit world by means of mediumship and who endeavours to mould his or her character in conduct in accordance with the highest teachings derived from such communion so what this what they're actually saying is this is actually a religion I then asked the question if it's not Christianity then what kind of religion is it and who are they actually praying to or even worshipping 
why do people become spiritualists? There must be like some kind of motivation behind that. For me, I think it was because I feared death. That was kind of what, what spurred me on. And what kind of trapped me into that was uh, the death of someone very, very close to me. But um, I think curiosity also played that part as well, like playing around with the Ouija board. They're kind of like the main three key points of perhaps why I got into um, spiritual contact. So if spiritualists and mediums in particular are not speaking to the dead, then who are they speaking to? Well, the Hebrew word for demon is actually familiar spirit, and that's quoted a few times in the Bible. As I explained earlier, a familiar spirit is a spirit that pretends to be a loved one or someone very, very familiar to you. But, you see, no one realises, well, when you're doing mediumship in, in that case, that even Satan can appear as an, as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11.13-14 And he uses this as a form of manipulation. Much of the New Age uh, talks about a light, but what they don't realise is it's a hidden light, an occult light. It's not the same light as the pure light of God, Christ Jesus. During the years of 14 to 15, I, I um, started reading up on astral projection, which is a, a, a way of um, taking yourself out of your own body into a supposed astral plane. Uh, so it's a transportation of the spirit is one way of putting it. And to enable me to do this, I was told to imagine chakras going down my body in various places and then a light going from the top of my head all the way down to my feet splitting in two and then coming right back up into the top of my head and going round and round and round I advise you not to do this um, I carried on doing this for months because I was really really wanted to experiment with uh, astral projection and uh, one night I woke up and I was paralysed it was dream paralysis but um, it was it was worse than that in fact because I was um, being sexually attacked it was like um, an overwhelming but very very unpleasant sexual feeling in the nether regions I, it was horrible it, it was like it was just overpowering it, there was no joy in that and that lasted could have gone on for half an hour now legend talks of the succubus and the incubi or the incubus which is a demon that um, rapes people so here am I trying to uh, experiment with spiritual things and um, I'm getting attacked in, in gruesome ways in fact leading up to that actual attack I don't know whether I was actually my physical body was attacked or whether it was my spirit but I remember being kind of moved around on the bed like my legs moving my arms moving but I was not in, completely in control of that but what I can re relate to that is when I was doing my mediumship in a spiritualist church, I could physically feel spirits touching me, just like tapping me and, and stuff like that on the shoulder. And also, if I allowed myself to go into a deep trance, they would control my limbs as well. I would allow them to do that. You lose the ability to actually control this. The, the entity can come in and out once they've broken you down. So in other words, they come in very, very subtle at first and time after time after time they, they they begin to sort of take over there there was times especially when i used to drink and i would go into a trance and talk to spirits and i could lose like an hour and i didn't know what 
what the hell was going on. And I wasn't exactly out of my head, so to speak, at the time. And it's also known, it's very well noted, that if you do use drugs or alcohol, and again I don't advise this, it can enhance mediumship and psychic ability. It just makes you wonder why that is. And I can tell you, it's because your barriers are lowered down. It's extremely dangerous. There's also been scientists who've proven that there is like a spirit world. Uh, Sir William Crookes, who actually uh, discovered thallium, he claims to have seen many, many materialisations, um, actually seeing these entities and uh, made a record of them. And then there was the medium Catherine Golighter, who the scientist W.J. Crawford, Belfast, um, did a number of tests with and actually weighed her during the time when she was when this spirit was actually materialising and she was actually lighter at the time of that. Ephesians 612 and it says in there it says for we're not contending against flesh and blood that's that's humans basically that's what they're saying but against principalities against the powers against the rulers of this present darkness against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I think Paul kind of says it all there really which is saying that the spirit world just wants to gain control of our minds because that's where the battlefield is it's not the flesh and blood it's the mind and if the entity can get into your mind which the medium is allowing that then half the battle is won it's just then a case of bit by bit by bit taking that um, control away from the medium but they do another damage as well there's like a, there's always a secondary action there where they will work through the medium and the medium will be able to give messages to people and convinced each one of them person, each one of them people, sorry, uh, that their saviour is already speaking through through that medium, because that medium becomes a kind of a, a counterfeit saviour, although sincere, um, unfortunately very very wrong as well. That what actually happens is they will represent Christ, but saying that Christ doesn't exist, that their salvation is. Don't worry, if you die, you'll just cross over, so that's okay. And that is also a deadly, deadly deception. Moving on to the present day, I'd say I'm a lot more relaxed now. A lot happier. And I don't get the anxiety like I used to. My message to anyone who is dabbling into the occult or is getting involved in tarot cards, the Ouija board, mediumship, going to see a medium. I ask you that you may not be a Christian, you may not believe in Christ. But to ask God, seek the kingdom of heaven and ask God for guidance. Because if you seek him, he will come to you. So thank you for listening and God bless. Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I have done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics and the gospel go to nowhere to run radio to help support this ministry thanks for your time